Welcome to SBME Interfaces. Our goal with this show is to introduce you to the people that interface with biomedical engineering from students and faculty to staff and industry and everyone in between. BME is a broad field that encompasses so many different perspectives, journeys, skill sets, and backgrounds, and we are excited to share them all with you. So today we are going to be doing this a bit differently. Uh, it is my pleasure to interface with my co-host, Dr. Payam Zaddy. Payam is a born problem solver and a dot connector who believes that real impact only occurs when everyone is given the runway to chase it. He has been the Director of Strategic Planning and Operations at UBC's School of Biomedical Engineering since 2018, helping to build it from a staff complement of three to a team of 20, over 20. He has led this administrative team through the development of our strategic plan, the funding and design of our new building, a successful accreditation process, the building out of our faculty and research portfolios, partnerships portfolio, communications portfolio, the design of our new brand and website, and this show, and more besides. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Biomedical Engineering, as well as a Master's and PhD in Pharmaceutical Sciences from University of Toronto. He is an avid experimenter in the kitchen, loves to read, and is a dedicated student of real leadership, which you can read all about in his article series on LinkedIn. And it is both my pleasure and pain that he will be leaving the SBME to return to a position at U of T. Hi, Em, thank you for doing this. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you for those kind words. Over-exaggerated. <laughs> the team does all the work, but happy to uh, be on the other side. <laughs> Leaders make great teams. Uh, so, okay. Um, I want to start out with something that I know is a, is a personal passion of yours, right? So you started out in a lab, uh, but here you sit in an administrative position, building teams, systems, processes. So what made you decide to make that shift? So I, I had two goals at being in a lab during master's and then deciding to continue into a PhD. And in both cases, um, I realized early on what really excited me is how people interact, how to make systems efficient, how to connect people and processes and go forward. And I was fortunate in both of those degrees, my supervisors gave me the opportunity to work a bit on operations. And that really stuck with me and that, that sparked the passion. I'm also curious about many things. So to ask me to focus as an academic on one subset of an area for the rest of my career would have been difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are far more inquisitive and uh, better people to be in academia than me. And I'm, I think, better suited to support them and their success. So that's another one of those things we've talked about before, right? Is the self-awareness, like not to push, not to push into something that you know will make you unhappy later on. Um, so you've talked, uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, how you crossed the country to UBC to help build SBME. Uh, what drew you to that opportunity in particular? And what are some of the biggest challenges you've faced along the way? So first and foremost, I mean, you've talked about leadership already, and it was the, the leader at top of SBME, Peter Zanstra. Uh, I've had the pleasure of working with him a little bit at University of Toronto before he transplanted over here. And it was a unique opportunity to work with him more closely. I've also, maybe, maybe fortunate or not, in my, er, my young career relatively, I've always worked on new initiatives and sort of being in that environment where it's more of akin to a startup. And so that excited me. And Peter uses this phrase, Greenfield. And that stuck with me. Like you can do something from scratch. 
And so, the, and then the, the, the broad portfolio and being able to be in an initiative that spanned two faculties. And I am a trained biomedical engineer. So it was also full circle to come back to a school of biomedical engineering and try to help them build that out with Peter and the team. And what were, what were like the biggest hurdles for you? Once you, when you finally sat in that chair, what was like, holy crap, I got to do this now. Yeah, uh, a lot of things were new to me, to be frank. Uh, and so building a, a team uh, across many portfolios, finance, HR, student services, the old way to comms now with your leadership. Um, being a new entity that spanned two faculties, there were all these processes that we had never been done before at UBC. So trying to navigate those and finding solutions. Um, I think those were the, those were the, those were the main things. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Looking back on how far the school has come since you first sat in that chair, uh, what excited you about it then? And what do you really hope for it as you move on to your, your new, your new role? So I'm biased to the best engineering degrees, biomedical engineering. <laughs> myself. So I was excited that we were creating something on the West Coast and that it could have big impacts locally, nationally, internationally. So to be able to create a program that, and now we've had our first cohort of undergraduates, graduates from the program, these are going to be people that are going to be leaders in this area. And there was a robust graduate program in place, but also helping to build that out a bit more and making it a bit more uh, known and attracting great uh, students from around the world. So having that, that really excited me. What excites me now is like you, we've gone through this rapid growth and we're not slowing down. And so yeah. the, the biggest excitement right now has been on our brand and uh, doing that and our strategy uh, and, and a new website to all of those. Keep an eye out. Uh, Miguel's working mm -hmm. on that. I think that's, that's been, that'll be a game changer. And then the next big thing is our new building. So in, in, mm -hmm. in hopefully early 2024, which we've dubbed sort of the, Canadian living Canadian laboratory mm -hmm. uh, will be will be also a game changer because it'll be a spoken hub model, uh, an opportunity for convergence and interactions and housing as many as of our faculty and students and staff under one roof. And I think all of that will uh, be great and that's exciting. So the future of what holds within that building is really key for me. By the way, for our audience, the, uh, the, the rubble site that you see that used to be the COP building, that's where SBME will be living in the future. Um, on that front too, we talk about the hub and spoke model, the convergence. Um, one of the big things that I know Peter has talked about and you and I have talked about as well is this idea of uh, destroying silos, uh, is, is removing barriers to not just participation, but to everybody getting together and, and exchanging ideas who might not normally cross paths with one another. Um, how do you feel about the building sort of being what I would call the example or maybe the beacon for that as we move forward? And do you think that that's something we should be doing across like every science essentially? Naturally having a, a site that many of your stakeholders can localize uh, will help with minimizing siloing. Uh, SB will never fully be integrated into one area because we have, as you know, faculty and trainees at the hospital sites. And so that'll always be a challenge. And the nature of how UBC is on one end of Vancouver, and then you have the hospitals like VDH and yeah. St. Paul's and BCG away. I come from Toronto where it was across the street. And so that really helps, but I think there's ways around that. But I would push and say, 
and infrastructure alone does not break down silos. You also need mm -hmm. leadership, you need example, you need culture. And that's I think something yeah, I've tried to work on hard, Peter has, and other people. And I think those two things will be key because mm -hmm. the building will be great. A lot of us will localize, but if you don't have this culture of integration, not just among faculty, but staff and students, and then a, a culture of uh, collaboration and integration and working at the interface, I think those are also key. No, one of the one of the key things about the way you lead, uh, which I really love, is is you really do provide people with autonomy and runway, um, and to 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 try new things, to 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 get creative, to do all that kind of stuff. Do you think that um, that that is the backbone of this sort of integrative culture? Um, like, I, I guess that what I'm trying to ask is what would be what do you feel is like a a, a primary necessary key to not just building a culture of, of creativity and collaboration, but one that can scale and last. Uh, trust. Yeah. So you, you have to trust in people around you. Um, you can't be everywhere all the time and you have to trust in them and their ability. And equal to that is respect. So if you respect and trust, I think you can do anything. And we lose sight of that at times because Everyone's busy, major deadlines. Uh, students have a ton of workloads. Faculty are being pulled in every direction. Staff are asked to do monumental things in short time periods. So everyone is being pulled at an academic base. But if you have a foundation of trust and respect, then I think you're, you're, you're on a good track. On, on that note, uh, on the side of respect, I remember when we launched uh, SPME's EDI initiatives and in our um, uh, our committee as well. I remember one of the things, the very first things that you said was like, add respect to the front so that it's ready, right? Respect, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So you are a huge advocate for 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 EDI for for respect as well. Um, you understand its benefits. We've talked about this before. You especially you understand the huge opportunity cost and to end the cost of sustainable progress when we don't bring everyone to the table, when we don't provide a mechanism for everybody to be there. Where do you think we need to improve most in this area? And it can be as a school or as the university itself. I think it, we have to make time for it. So I feel that it is top of mind for a lot of people. People get impacted by in some capacity they have emotional reactions when they see it on the news or hear about it, but then we don't make time for it. And we shouldn't be forced to make time for it. So, you know, I mean, it's becoming more integrated in, in, in grant proposals and other things. We're, we're kind of guiding faculty there. We're trying to integrate more in our, in our, in our curriculums and our students. It's becoming more important in, in, in staffing and onboarding and the culture, but we have to make time for it. Mm -hmm. We can't just talk about it. And, and have statements only about it. We have to make time for it and action. So I think that is, that's an important area is, is really time. As with mm -hmm. anything, make time for it. And then it becomes ingrained in you and part of your every day because you've made that time. Yeah, yeah. I remember we, we talked about this too, like you mentioned, like, you know, you react to it on the news. Um, do you have any advice for, for you know, you know we, all, we all see something, you know, awful and atrocious and we feel something but we've talked about how it's not our pain that matters. Instead, it's the it's the community that's affected. Do you have any advice for those of us who do get our blood up right away? You know what I mean? We want to rush out there. We want to do some things, right? Like, what would you tell us uh, to to do? Yeah, and and I must say, I'm by no means an expert in EDI, and <laughs> throughout my life, I've been fortunate 
mainly not to be affected by some of the atrocious things that our colleagues and friends and family go through. But it's dear to my heart and it's important. And to me, one of the fundamental things is give those that are affected their space and their voice and step back. And by you stepping back, you're not doing them a disservice. You're actually doing them a service. Mm -hmm. So you're allowing them to be amplifying their voice. It's really not in those cases about our pain. It's really about mm -hmm. their pain. And let's listen to it and learn from it. So I, mm -hmm. I think that's, we are, as humans, reaction to everything. And especially something that's around the EDI space. But it's also important to be patient. Take a step back, take a breath, and then move forward. <laughs> Make time for it again. Um, all right, so you you and I have chatted so much about leadership, but what it is, but what it isn't. Um, how has your view of leadership changed, say, before you took on the role at SBME to where you are now? It, one of the things that really has come out is it's ultimately about people. It's it's not about, I mean, we don't work in industry. It's not about the bottom line. It's It's not about the deadline, the finance, it's ultimately first and foremost about people. And you mentioned, I, I, it's one of sort of my pandemic resolutions to be more out there and, and starting to write about this. Again, by no means am I an expert in leadership. I'm learning as I go. But I, one of my first pieces was about people first. Mm -hmm. And if you, not tasks first, because that to me is management. So if you essentially put people first, you're already going to be ahead because the lens you have on allows you to deal with a lot of situations more openly and clearly rather than if you put the task first. Mm. Um, on that note, uh, the, what do you think are some of the biggest barriers to that idea of like putting the people first, right? Because as, as you say, the people are responsible for, for you know, the, the, the bottom lines or whatever it is, right? So we have to take care of that resource. What do you think are the biggest barriers or a couple of barriers, especially in academia to putting that resource first? I think this spans beyond academia. I think we're very, we become very analytical at work. Mm -hmm. We rely too much on metrics and data numbers. And again, so the task, the output, so I think that's just pre-programmed in us. We just have to work on that. And I think there's a lot of writings on this. We see a lot of global leaders now slowly, slowly, some, not many, acknowledging that, again, it's about people. And it's okay to show your emotion because I think it's for us, we feel that it's hard to deal with people because then we have to deal with not just the task, but their emotions and their feelings. And But that's, that's more important. That's where you will get the greatest output. It's kind of mm. intertwined. So I think... We're kind of afraid that the time it might take from us. But actually, I would push, argue and push back and say it's going to take less time overall because you're dealing with what's more important, which is people, mm -hmm. not the task. And if you do that, it's, it's going to pay more dividends. I mean, it's, it's right. And, and, and you create a feedback loop and, and you keep doing that. And you'll have a much more steadier state at work than a fluctuating state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, did you have any, what you would call misconceptions about leadership before you stepped into a leadership role? Like, I thought it was going to be this, but it ended up being this. Did you encounter any of that? Um, I, one thing was that as a leader, you always have to be right and you always have to have the right answer. Mm. And I learned early on that that's not the case and it's rarely the case. And you make a decision and if it works, it works, it doesn't. You just, it's how you react to that point 
and being open about it that you don't know everything. Yeah. Yep, the leader is this difficult balance of finding, showing that you have you have this strong front and you're there for the team and the people, but also you're a vulnerable person. And you can do both. You can do both <laughs> and you're then even a better leader. Mm-hmm. And then people connect with you and will give more of themselves to the initiatives because they see that and they're passionate about it. If there was if there was one skill that you wish every leader would learn, like like would still from be like like would start from a place of this, like I'm going to learn this and I'm going to I'm going to deploy it in every single thing that I do. Is there one skill or one mindset that you think uh, they should have or learn? There's no secret sauce, but one of the one of the I think important thing is you're dealing with people. So if you didn't, you have to make time for people, not time mm-hmm. for the task. Or the, and I, th- I think that's a very critical shift if you mm-hmm. can do it either. because then you, you approach problems more openly. And when your team has a reaction to something or is in need of something or is having a difficult time, you're much more easily able to help them and support them and guide them as a leader you're there to guide you're not there to tell people what to do you Hmm. should guide them and and if if you don't if you're not doing that you're not leading you're managing that's okay that's okay with you but that's not Hmm. um so on that note, we've uh, um, uh, our partnerships manager and myself, we've you know we've we've developed this new um, Propel series to to help PIs and stuff like that learn everything from leadership to even the practical side of filling out grants and that sort of thing. Um, but like overarching, what like is there one piece of advice you would have for like I'm a new PI, I've just walked into my shiny new lab, uh, what do I do now? Like what what would be your advice to me? remember you're, you're basically running a company like you are you this is your entity you're running it so you're the ceo the cfo the cso the chief human you're everything it's <laughs> a lot and and at, at the fundamental root of it is without your lab members you can't do anything so it goes back to the people part so mm-hmm. you're working with people and i think one of the key things you're a mentor you're, that I think that's a key thing to remember is that you are a mentor. You're not a, you're not a, you're, yes, you're a principal investigator, you're a faculty, but you're a mentor to it. Because again, if you go with the mindset of mentoring, you're giving people leeway, you're giving autonomy, you're respecting people, you're trusting people. Mm-hmm. But if you go in the mindset that you're managing projects or people, then you don't create a, ultimately, a research is this beautiful place where creativity can happen it's like our pixar right it's our our, we have this and 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 that's the beauty of academic environment that there can be this free thinking and flow but it starts from the top right Mm -hmm. i really i I like that that differentiation you've talked about it um not just here but multiple times before too is is you you manage systems and processes you lead people Right. Like that idea. Um, I think that's that's so important because uh, like I, I've heard uh, uh, a leader in the space, uh, Simon Sinek, talk about is like, like people don't wake up in the morning and think I can't wait to be managed today. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like they're, they're looking for they're looking for a vision, a goal, something to chase. Right. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. All right. So uh, let's get a little bit lighter then. Um, what has been the highlight of your time at SPME? Um, it's been working with the team. You, you mentioned, I mean, the team really was two people when I started and 
I've had the privilege of helping grow that team and just seeing where the team is and how independent and all the initiatives that everyone does. Uh, that's been fantastic. Uh, being part of a big capital project like the new building and, and, and exceptional learning experience, but also uh, seeing what it's going to look like and what the, the potential that it has. That's been fantastic. And I mean, you and I have chatted about this. One of my favorite parts of the role is the communication front and working with you and really where we've gone from very humble beginnings on our communication branding to launching a new brand, a new website coming soon. Um, this podcast, I think, has been a great thing. So very fortunate. Of, and again, this speaks to Peter being also very of that mindset of giving people autonomy and letting them grow and mm -hmm. empowering and letting you do many things that maybe other administrators in my role wouldn't have had the opportunity early on. So I was thrown into the fire, but I, but I had support and trust and that's the best way to learn, right? You, you, you yeah. have trust. And so I've learned, I've learned a lot of things that for sure I'll carry throughout my career and onto the next journey for sure. All right. So we, you and I have talked about books many, many times. Um, uh, okay. So what are your, I'm not going to, I'm not going to limit you to one because that's not fair. Uh, what are your like four or five desert Island books? The only ones you get to read for the, for the rest of the time. Um, I don't, I don't have books. I mean, uh, maybe I'll go, uh, I'll cop out and I'll do this first. Uh, I've, I've gotten crazy into like crime fiction thrillers and whatnot. So, James Patterson, who does like the Alice Cross series, I've read all of them now. And so I could read those and, and have a good time. And I was also big into uh, biographies. Mm -hmm. And so really any biography by anybody, it could be a celebrity to a world leader to anything. I, I, I like those. And lastly, any book that really has this connection between parent and child. Always. So one of the first books that really caught me was The Kite Runner. Oh, yeah. And and sort of that connected and things like that. So there wouldn't be one book. I, that's my thing. I'm not, I can't limit myself. I mean, that's why I was an <laughs> academic. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. Do you, is there, has there been any biography that you've read lately that has like really, like, like really taught you something you didn't expect to learn? Uh, I, I read one by uh, Robert Iger, who's the I think almost outgoing CEO of Disney. And he was there for 15 years and has crazy, uh, amount of experience in media and NBC, I believe, before that. And he wrote about, about leadership and a lot of it resonated and it was, it was both a biography and leadership that stood out. Mm. And another book I read a while back that always I think about is um, When Air Becomes Breath. And it's uh, basically uh, written by a neurosurgeon who finds out he has stage four cancer and the book is published after he passes away. And it's really a beautifully written book about, you know, you have to maximize life and accept life. And then the journey goes through and uh, it's very touching. And then he has, he has a young child and his wife. So those, that, those kind of stuff. I highly read that recommend book. that book. When yeah, I'll read that. Yeah. Air becomes fun. Um, okay, uh, so the, now we're gonna get into the questions that we ask everybody. Um, so what is one piece of advice that you would give to your 20 year old self? Because I know those kind of questions coming, I thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, that's good. And I landed on one word and I can expand. It's, it's live. Ooh, that's good. And it's, and it's 
And it's really, I'm, I'm very reserved, try to be very calculated and thus being worried of failure and afraid of trying things. And I would go back to my 20 year old self who was an undergrad and almost finishing up and just live, try out things, get on a sports team. You don't make it, doesn't matter. Join a book club, write, write. Doesn't matter if English is not your first language. Teachers have told you English is not your forte. Do it. Uh, do things, try things, travel. Uh, I was always worried. So I would say live. Because when mm. you live, you fail, you learn, you grow. It's that, that simple. That's good advice. Um, also, I wanted to ask you as well, um, like we, we talked about cooking a lot, right? And you made the transition to, to being a, an omnivore to, uh, to vegetarianism or veganism? I can't remember. Vegan. Vegan, yeah. So you're, 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 you're vegan now. What is like your go-to um, either like channel on YouTube or whatever to learn about, you know, recipes and stuff to cook uh, when it comes to veganism? So I, sh I should first say I'm, I'm by no means a superstar chef in the kitchen. It was kind of thrown onto me uh, being, uh, being single first. And my mom's an exceptional cook of many cuisines uh, so spoiler there but her being out of town for a while and so I had to learn uh, and then once I got married I, I took on the responsibility and I enjoyed it so the key right now is cooking quick meals in 15 minutes so the kids don't tear us apart in the house apart as you know uh, yep. but one of my uh, sort of guilty pleasures when I when we had cable tv and now more youtube is always I always watch cooking shows just to unwind it's not about learning, but it's unwinding. It could be from diners, drive-ins and dives, with Guy Fieri, <laughs> uh, to a more haute couture, like a high-level cooking. And right now on YouTube, I, I'm a heavy YouTube watcher. That's my sort of unwinding. Uh, binging with Babish, a lot of people know that. that it, uh, yes. Yeah. He's great. Uh, and uh, I also like these uh, YouTubers that travel and eat. So there's one, Mark Weens, who's pretty, pretty great. Uh, I, I, I like YouTubers that are authentic. So that's what I mm -hmm. pursue. You kind of get a sense they're authentic. They're not going to do a prank show. They're not going to do something. Yeah. Authentic. So <laughs> those are a couple. And there's a couple great channels, uh, Eater and Munchies and other things. That, mm -hmm. that the great show that's not very PG in language with Action Bronson. Oh, I yeah. The, the title of the show. Yeah. <laughs> I, he's I he's awesome. Yeah, so F, that's delicious. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, he's yeah. great. And, and um, Maddie Madison, uh, boy back home from Ontario, he's yeah, pretty, he's pretty, he's pretty raw and, and funny. I love that his shows. He's out of hand. Um, okay, so then the uh, the the last question then for you that we ask everybody, and I'm very intrigued to hear what this is. Is are there any initiatives, projects, or endeavors that you are overseeing right now? Doesn't have to be SBME, obviously, mm -hmm. that you are very excited about and you think we should get excited about too. I, I recall back when we talked to our provost, Andrew Siri, and he said it's like picking your kids. And so it's hard, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but I'll, I'll pick the kids today. Um, mm -hmm. On SBME front, I'll say it again, Miguel's been championing our branding and keeping up for our website. I'll be excited and looking forward when that comes out, even after I leave. Um, you mentioned Propel. We have a lot of great things. The building uh, it is nonstop, so people should really keep an eye out. We have a lot of great things that we develop in-house and pump out. Uh, on, 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 on my next step, I'm heading back to UFT, sort of my alma mater, and uh, looking forward to that. Um, and so uh, keep an eye out on that 
more info to come on LinkedIn and others of what my next journey will be. I'm excited for that. And on personal front, and I must say here, I, I'm in big debt to Miguel. He's helped me a lot with, with my writing and must go saying he's a great editor. And, and so I, I'll continue doing that. Uh, launched a story recently on um, the imposter within and the imposter within uh, put on us. And I have a bunch of other coming out, probably couple, uh, one every couple of months, one on failure and how do we approach uh, failure and, and the growth that can come from looking at failure in a positive light, how to deal with feedback, uh, time management and on change. How do we deal with when changes happen at our workplace? So these are some things that are in the pipeline. And uh, I hope I can re, uh, do another podcast series once I read this. I've really enjoyed it. It's a really nice way of connecting with people and they put their guard down and it's very comfortable and you have a nice chat. And, you know, I always talk about this. 30 minutes is so little. We could, we could, it's, we could easily talk hours with our guests. And yeah, uh, I would love to kind of dive into a, a podcast series. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite moment from the show? This, this, these last, I guess, year that we've been doing this now, or almost year. We've been fortunate, great guests. Um, it, it was cool talking to Rick Hansen. I mean, he's a Canadian yeah. icon. Uh, that's super, and he was super humble. Uh, I'm always blown away by the UBC leadership, how down to earth they are. Uh, that really resonated. And I mean, I said this on the podcast, but when, when our provost from UBCO reads your poem, <laughs> that kind of raises your hair on your arms, that was fantastic. So yeah, yeah. Great moment too. All right. Well, I am. Uh, it has been my genuine privilege and pleasure to both work with you and learn from you. Um, one of the biggest things I have been able to learn from you has been that idea of really putting people first, but more importantly, to taking the pressure of perfectionism off uh, off my own shoulders. So I want to thank you for that. Also, uh, I would never presume to speak for everyone, but I know I speak for the vast majority of the SBME when I say that you will be acutely missed, <laughs> that uh, your influence has been so positive and acutely felt across the school. And we are really excited to see the dent you make in the world over at U of T. Great, I really appreciate it, Miguel, and thank you for giving me this chance to be on the other side. It's fun. All right, man. Thank you. All the best. Thanks.